1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everyone. Welcome to New Books and Sociology, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Rituparna Paakiri, and today I'm going to be in conversation with Trevor Buffoni. Trevor is a lecturer in the Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies program at the University of Houston and a high school teacher at Bel Air High School. His work using TikTok and his students has been featured on Good Morning America, ABC News, Inside Edition and Access Hollywood among numerous national US media platforms. He is the author of Renegades, Digital Dance Cultures from Dump Smash to TikTok, and the co-author of Latinx Teens, U.S. Popular Culture on the Page, Stage, and Screen. He is the editor of TikTok Cultures in the United States, the book that we will be talking about today. I'm sure that we are in for a very exciting and engaging conversation with Trevor, and I'm very glad to have you with us. Welcome to this interview.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here
1: yeah so uh, just to uh, roll the conversation ahead could you talk a little bit about your inspiration behind writing what this uh, you know this fascinating book
0: yeah so i started um teaching high school full time in 2018 in the united states i'm in texas and around the same time in august 2019 oh sorry 2018 Uh, TikTok became available in the United States, right? So TikTok became available internationally in 2017, and then it finally got to the U.S. in 2018, and I immediately began seeing my students making TikToks, right? Which in 2018 was very strange. Um, It felt like something in a movie, right? Like teenagers would put the phone down, and they would all do these highly choreographed dances together, right? And so I saw what was happening, and I immediately started asking them everything I could ask, right? Um, Where did you learn this? What is this? How did you know how to do the dance? Uh, Who choreographs the dance, right? And so eventually I'll fast forward and you can ask me any sorts of questions if you want uh, to fill in the gaps, but we started making TikToks together as a class, right? Me and my students as a way to bond, to build um, a stronger classroom community. And then we, we eventually went viral in January, February twenty nineteen, we went viral. We were on, uh, we blew up on TikTok, on Instagram, on all sorts of different social media apps, and then we were featured on all sorts of um, major national media platforms in the United States. And once that happened, I started to think, you know, I have a PhD in theater performance, and I am always looking at trying to understand these phenomenons. I love pop culture. I'm also always trying to understand more about pop culture and really get nerdy with it. And so I started to say, you know what, I I really wanna understand what's happening with my students and I, I'm gonna start researching TikTok, right? And at this time, 2019, very few people were doing this, right? Um, And everyone I talked to about it looked at me like I was crazy, right? Like, who, why would you waste your time on TikTok, right? And so basically the book TikTok Cultures in the United States, which just came out in April, 2022 is kind of not the culmination, but the next step in that project of really looking at the role of TikTok in U.S. popular culture in the ways that TikTok is really becoming embedded in mainstream culture in the U.S. and also beyond, right? It's something that's a phenomenon across the globe, more or less.
1: Right. So you mentioned making TikTok videos with your class and, you know, it becoming viral. So could you just talk a little bit about that experience? I'm very, very intrigued to know.
0: Yeah. So, you know, when you become a teacher or a professor or researcher, your goal is never to go viral or to get famous for doing that thing. Right. And so for me, it was never something that we tried to do. We were not trying to go viral. We were not trying to be on TV or whatever it might have been, I wasn't trying to write books about it. And then it just happened, right? We were doing something that was filled with joy. Uh, We were doing something that really took our mind off of, you know, the stress of school or the stress of family and friendships, like, you know, all the hard things about being a teenager and also about being a teacher. Um, It was a way to really relieve that stress and have fun and bring fun back to the classroom. And so we were doing it for months before we went viral. And again, we never talked about going viral. We never, it was never a goal we had, right? Um, but at the time you have to you know imagine this was the time before, you know, in 2020 adults got on TikTok in waves, right? Now TikTok features all sorts of demographics, right? All sorts of age ranges. But in 2018, 2019, it was still very much a teenager space, at least in the United States and for much of the world as well. But it was still a teenager space, and so to have you know a teacher dancing with students was outside the box. Now it's a bit normal; you you, you almost expect it now. But it was very. It was a, a. I think it was something that was interesting for people, right? And so we were featured on a local Houston um, news network, and then a few days later we were on Good Morning America, which I know this is an international audience, but Good Morning America is the um most famous biggest news like morning news program in the country right um i know a lot of nations have a similar kind of program but we were on good morning america which opened up a lot of doors and then we were all over the news we were we were doing a lot of different media appearances Um, and all sorts of things were kind of happening for us, right? Celebrities were visiting the classroom to come hang out with us and make TikToks with us. And it was just a lot of fun. And, you know, the one thing I will say is my students and I, we really, throughout even the fame, even the notoriety, we maintained this, you know, culture where it wasn't about that. It was always about having fun, getting to know each other, sharing our cultures, and collaborating. It was never about going viral.
1: Right. So you talk about the growing culture of TikTok in the US. So how would you describe the way in which TikTok has become a cultural force in the country?
0: Yeah, so, so TikTok it became available, like, like I said, in um, August, 2018 in the United States. And it uh, ByteDance, which is the company that owns TikTok, they bought Musical.ly, which was an app that teenagers were using in the United States and in parts of Europe as well. And basically, they merged this Musical.ly audience with this new TikTok audience. And so from the beginning, the culture was very much a Gen Z, a teenage affinity space for the most part. Right. It was mostly teenagers. They were setting the culture. Teenagers were deciding um the music the trends the dance moves so on and so forth which is the subject of my first book renegades digital dance cultures from dub smash to TikTok, and it was the pandemic right the covid19 pandemic when everyone was we were on lockdown or quarantine we were forced to go home in 29 i'm sorry in about march april 2020 in the u.s and at that point Adults started getting on TikTok, right? Brands, celebrities, um, big names started to get on TikTok. And the culture really shifted. And at that point, TikTok really grew far beyond its original, I don't want to say intent, but its original audience, right? Which was teenagers. And so from there, it's just been on this amazing, super interesting trajectory, right? Where TikTok is really influencing a lot of different people um, parts of U.S. culture, but also global culture in different ways. And even I know, you know, India, for instance, uh, TikTok is banned in India, but their influence is still there, I imagine, right? Because, you know, things might begin on the Internet, they might begin on social media. And even if you're not on that platform, if you're not on TikTok, it's still influencing um, material parts of our lives, which I know we can talk about later on as well.
1: Yes, you're correct when you say that TikTok has been banned in India. It is. But uh, it has had a cultural influence, particularly in how the marginalized sections of society were using it. I just thought I'll add it. Oh, of
0: course, yeah,
1: Yeah. So how do you see TikTok uh, blurring the lines between digital and analog cultures?
0: That's a great question. And, you know, I think TikTok is doing something that is both new and not new at all. So if you look at, you know, social media like YouTube or Instagram, there has been, even Facebook, there's been a lot of buying power and material effects of those platforms, right? So if we look at, say, beauty influencers and wellness influencers on YouTube, they've been able to sell beauty products, like sell out beauty products at stores, um, like makeup and shampoos and all that kind of stuff. And then we can also look at like games. Um, there's a lot of very popular YouTube channels where it's kids opening up toys and games, right? And then those things go viral and sell out in stores. And so you see the same thing happening at a much higher rate on TikTok, right? Where TikTok is quite literally influencing the way we buy, the way we spend money, um, the music we listen to. So I'll just point to a few examples. Um, in. uh, For the music, for instance, Uh, music is the most visible example of this or most sonic example of this, I should say. But for instance, the Billboard Hot 100 and the Billboard charts across the world um, now factor in TikTok plays and TikTok virality into a song's popularity. So we can look at something like uh, the Encanto soundtrack with We Don't Talk About Bruno, which was able to go be the number one song in much of the world, because of TikTok, right? TikTok virality made this song like a household song, which then made the movie popular as well. Um, And we're seeing that basically any popular song is attached to a TikTok trend or a TikTok um, being like an audio meme on TikTok. We can also look at, you know, things like um, recipes. Recipes are really big, or like trying new foods are really big on TikTok. And so, for instance, um, if you go into a grocery store, a, mar- a supermarket in the U.S., you'll see as seen on TikTok sections, right? So say there's a recipe this week that's cinnamon rolls. Cinnamon rolls are really big right now on TikTok in the U.S. And so you can't buy cinnamon rolls, right? Or the store will have a certain section that has all the ingredients together. And it's like, make the famous TikTok cinnamon rolls, Um and so they're tr- the, the supermarkets, the, the bookstores with talk, popular books on BookTok, the music stores, I'm not sure that we have music stores anymore, but you know they're all aware of the buying power and they're trying to make it more um, easier for the consumer to purchase these things they're seeing on TikTok, right? So the lines are blurring a bit. And this is when I say like the effects of TikTok on people that are not on TikTok, it's still something that's there, right? Because even if you are not on the internet at all. If you walk into a bookstore and the first thing you see is as seen on BookTok, these are popular books. It's telling people these are books I should read to be a part of this cultural moment, to be culturally literate, um, to be able to have these conversations, even if I'm not on the social media platform itself.
1: All right. So you call TikTok a formal innovation. Uh, Could you please explain what you mean by that?
0: Yeah, I love that, and you know, it's something that I think, I think you and I get, but a lot of casual uh, people who are not studying TikTok or who are not um, scholars might might overlook. But you know, a lot of the criticism of TikTok is, oh, it's just this silly app. It's it's just it's just TikTok. I'm using air quotes. It's just TikTok. It doesn't matter. It's not important. It's um, it's just teenagers. It's a silly place for teenagers to do silly things. But behind that, it's actually something that is very structured. And it is this formal innovation in that there are social mores and there are like ethics and co- codes of conduct and processes that, you know, make things go viral or make things part of the culture, right? Um, in a very formal way. So, you know, I don't... Think most people realize that, but I think it's something that people who study TikTok or who study social media, especially as it relates to to human interaction and and culture making, I think we get that, right? There is a lot of formality to this thing that seems incredibly informal.
1: Hmm. Right. Okay. Uh, again, a related question because we are talking about it. Uh, how do you see the relationship between TikTok and the public in the context of the US?
0: Yeah, so I think I've you know I've spoke to that a little bit, but I'll, I'll add on a bit with book talk. So book talk is the subculture of TikTok dedicated to reading and books. So you know before we had Bookstagram on Instagram and BookTube on YouTube, and those things still are. Are thriving, right? But book talk has taken this to another level. So for instance, if you walk into a Barnes and Noble, which is the, um, the major bookstore in the U S um, or if you go to a comparable place in Canada or Spain or wherever um, you'll see as seen on book talk tables, right? With all of these books that are trending books on book talk, these books also tend to be bestsellers, right? On the New York times, bestseller list right because people see them in tiktok on tiktok and then they have to read them to be able to be a part of that community and to be able to understand what's going on the more viral a book gets the more people feel the need to read it right to be a part of that community to either buy the book or go to a library and check out the book and so you know you're seeing this become embedded in certain communities right um so book talk is one example, and also, you know, we can look at the way that, you know, the Kelly Clarkson show. So Kelly Clarkson, the singer, has a very popular daytime program in the United States, like a talk show. And last week for Pride Month, she had um, some queer TikTokers, and one of them was a book talker, Kevin Norman, and he talked about his favorite queer books, right? So you see this thing, this person who creates book talk content, who then goes viral for doing book talk, and then ends up on the Kelly Clarkson show, where he is, which I believe is, um, I don't know the network, but it doesn't matter. It's one of the major networks in the United States, where he's talking about popular book talk books on national television on a program far removed from TikTok, right? So then, people who are not on TikTok, maybe um, older people, people that don't do social media, they see this, and then they are aware of what's going on on TikTok, and they might go buy those books. They might go tell someone about those books, so on and so forth. So you see these material effects of TikTok in places that are far removed from TikTok seemingly.
1: Right, so uh, again, when I'm talking about the public, I also have to ask you about race. And of course, the question of race has been in the limelight in the US in the contemporary times. So uh, do you think race gets represented in TikTok or is it predominantly a white space?
0: Yeah, so that's something I write about in most of my work on TikTok. And it's in my book, Renegades, and also in the you know TikTok cultures in the U.S. I really, I talk about this a lot as TikTok being a white space. And when I say white space, in a way I'm aware that this app is a Chinese-owned, uh, Chinese-originated app, and it's used all over the world in places that are not white, right? Um, even I mean, population-wise, right? But when I say this, what I'm really getting at is not just the demographics, like white people, but also white as a construct, right? White as a structure, right? So if we look at TikTok, we know at this point, we know that TikTok has actively shadow banned or suppressed content by disabled people, by people that are darker skinned, by people that are non-normative, um, by people that are less attractive, um, I'm using air quotes when I say less attractive, um, according to Western, like Eurocentric beauty standards, right? And so TikTok suppresses that sort of content, and it privileges content made by people that fit into that Western Eurocentric beauty standard, right? So we can look at people like Charlie Dimelio, who who was the most followed uh, account on TikTok for years, and I believe last week or two weeks ago she became the second most followed. And we can look at how Charlie D'Amelio will do a dance challenge, right? So for instance, my book, Renegades, I talk about the Renegade Dance Challenge, which is has been the most famous, popular TikTok dance challenge in the four years of TikTok. And so Charlie D'Amelio does this dance that's created by a Black teen, Jalea Harmon, a Black teenage girl in Atlanta, Georgia, in the U.S. And... Charlie D'Amelio goes viral and her account really grows, and she becomes associated with this incredibly popular dance. And um, at the same time, as Charlie D'Amelio grows, we have this black teenage girl who does not get the fame, does not get the notoriety, does not get the followers, the brand deals, so on and so forth. So, in about, um, let's say January, February 2020, there was this massive conversation in the US around how is TikTok in the US reinforcing white supremacy and really taking um, content and taking uh, culture making by black creators or creators of color and obfuscating it, right? And really suppressing that in favor of these attractive white teenage girls, right? And so it became this really big conversation on TikTok around the, the renegade dance challenge. Eventually, Jalea Harmon was given credit and a lot of the wrongs were righted, and that's what I write about in Renegades in the book. Um, and then, of course, in twenty twenty in the U.S., we had a massive cultural moment, right, with the uh, murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Amon Aubrey, and this question of police brutality and white supremacy happening in the U.S., which it was was there was another added layer, right, that it happened at the height, I guess we could say, or arguably the height or the onset, I should say, of the COVID-19 pandemic, right? So you have these massive protests happening throughout the US. And so race has been something that, even though you would say, oh, it's not a part of TikTok, it is very much baked into TikTok, right? Sophia Noble in her book, Algorithms of Oppression, and also Rua Benjamin in Race After Technology, they both talk about how, you know, algorithms are biased, right? The people that make algorithms code their bias into those algorithms, right? And that's something that we can very much see with TikTok. And even if we go back to 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 China, which again, this, this next part I'm not an expert on, but we can look at, there's a lot of research on how China itself, like the Hollywood, the US Hollywood film industry, right? A lot of what is done there in privileging white actors and white stories reflects what the Chinese buying power is and what the Chinese market wants, right? So it's, it's all connected, right? Um, and I will say that TikTok is shifting, right? At least in the US, the culture is shifting to be more inclusive of people of color. So there are more initiatives to inc- to support Latinx creators, um, Latinx being people from Latin American descent in the US and also um, black creators and so on and so forth. So there's money being put towards these communities, there's support being put towards these communities. And so the culture is shifting, but at the end of the day, the people that still have the pine power or the power on TikTok are often these white, young white people that fit into this Western Eurocentric beauty standard. and I could go on about this for a long time. And, and if you read TikTok cultures in the United States, a lot of the chapters talk about this in different ways. And also Renegades, um, my first book, is really, that's the through line of the book, is how has the work of black people influenced TikTok, right? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night,
1: ember hot and icy cold. Right, right. Yeah, it's very interesting to hear that. Uh, And apart from race, you also talk about gender and sexuality and the role that they play on the platform. So how do you say that girlhood materializes on TikTok and, you know, gender and sexuality come into play?
0: Yeah, so in TikTok cultures in the United States, there's a few chapters that really, there's a section of the book that looks at gender and sexuality. And um, one I'll highlight or there's a bunch, um, but uh, Shauna Pomerantz and Miriam Field, they have a chapter and that's a mother-daughter duo, right? And they have a chapter about how TikTok, and they've written several different things about this, but how TikTok gives them the playground to have these conversations about feminism and and teenage girlhood and how to really like what's happening in the world? What is the reality of life today for a teenage girl in in the United States or Canada, and how might that be different than what the mother experienced when she was a teenage girl? Right. So TikTok gives them the conversation starter to have these larger conversations. So their work's really interesting, but also you know TikTok in my chapter in that book in TikTok cultures, I write about whiteness and really how white teenage girls like Charlie D'Amelio or Addison Rae, how they really dictate TikTok culture, right? Now, even though they have a tremendous amount of power, it's intersectional, right? And there's still misogyny, right? These, these young women who have tremendous power in the United States and, and beyond across the globe, they still deal with misogyny. They still deal with sexism, right? In a way that these white quote-unquote, TikTok boys don't deal with, right? Um, And then the book also talks about sexuality in a number of ways. So there's a chapter on trans TikTok and then queer TikTok globally speaking. And basically what has happened on TikTok, and I think this is the thing that separates TikTok from Twitter and Facebook and um, YouTube and so on and so forth, is the way that TikTok really can create subcultures and subcommunities. So for instance... You know, the algorithm, the mysterious TikTok algorithm can put people into these communities, right? So for instance, it it learns what you like, it learns your habits, it studies you, and then it starts to feed you content that fits who you are. So for instance, um, you know, at my classes at the University of Houston, I teach LGBT studies, and my students will often tell me, oh, TikTok knew I was trans before I knew I was trans, or TikTok told me I was bisexual, right? Because the algorithm started to feed them content about that, and then all of a sudden they realized, hey, this is my experience, this is my life. And so it becomes a really important educational tool for marginalized communities, right? Where you get to meet like-minded folks, people who share your identity, and also people that, you know, or you learn about who you are, right? You learn about important issues or parts of that identity, right? And so, that's something that TikTok is doing really well for. You know, and this is the same for any sort of marginalized community, any non-white normative community, uh, people with without power, so to speak, in the U.S. And so, trans TikTok has been a really um, interesting spot, um, especially because folks are also creating this community for other trans people, other queer people, but it's also an educational space where they're teaching cisgender people about trans issues, right? Hey, these are the things we're dealing with. You need to know about them because if we're going to really create a more inclusive community, a more inclusive society, it needs to be somewhere where trans people are accepted and are included at every turn, right? Where they feel safe and they can have the same benefits and rights as everyone else.
1: Right. So, um, yeah, I mean... You mentioned uh, one chapter by a mother-daughter duo. So uh, my next question is kind of related. I wanted to know if you think that TikTok can be a space to build the intergenerational kind of feminist community building that we need today. And uh, the chapter that you mentioned just came to my mind because it is a mother-daughter duo from different generations, you know, contributing a chapter. So, and how they would see the role of TikTok, perhaps from very different uh, generational perspectives.
0: Yeah, so that's, so my first book, Renegades, half of the book is about that, okay? Because what happened was when my students and I went viral, I was desperate to understand why, why did this happen? What's going on, right? And at the root of it, it was intergenerational bonding through dance and through social media and through just having fun. Right. And it wasn't a forced thing. So we weren't, I wasn't saying, Oh, I love this. You're going to love it too. Let's do it together. I noticed my students loved it. And we had these genuine conversations where I learned about my students. I learned about their culture, their interests, what they liked, so on and so forth. And then we started making these videos, which was something we just did for ourselves. And then it eventually went viral. Right. But what it did for the classroom is it really created this. Um intergenerational community where the students and I were flipping our roles. So for instance, in my content, the students often are the ones that choose what we do. They're the ones that teach me the dance. Um, and so they take on the role of teacher, I become the student, they learn leadership. Um, you know, uh, they take on a leadership role and I take on a very passive role where I'm just, doing what they tell me to do in the same way that traditionally teachers are telling the students what to do. And so it's a very radical way, at least in the United States, and I imagine much of the world, but I get messages all from all over the world where students in, in Europe and in Africa or all over the place are telling me like, oh my gosh, what you're doing is so different than school here, right? This is this would never happen in my country. Um, but what we're really doing is it's, it's a feminist, it's feminist work, right? We are... Removing hierarchies. We are all on the same playing field, all on the same level. Um, and we're using the culture of the most marginalized people in the group as well, right? That is dictating what we're doing. And so, in that chapter um, that Pomerantz and Fields wrote, the mother daughter duo, um, and their work is really great. I would recommend everyone check out Shauna Pomerantz and Miriam Fields' work on TikTok. But they're talking about the same idea, right? Where the mother is not forcing the daughter to have the conversation on her terms. Instead, the mother is learning about the daughter's world, right? The mother is learning about what the daughter is watching, the conversations the daughter is having, the hashtags, the people she follows, so on and so forth. And that is where the conversation is starting, right? Oftentimes we look at it as, elders, as we need to pass on our our knowledge to younger people. But a lot of times to really create coalitions and community building, you have to listen to the younger people, right? Actively listen to them and respect them, right? To really push that conversation forward. And I find TikTok is really doing this in an interesting way. Um, So I write about that in my book. Shauna Pomerantz writes about it. But there, you know, there are other folks that are looking at it in different ways. Um, I don't know that we are there. are That many of us studying this in a very formal way, but I think it's fascinating, and it's something that I think people don't initially see when they get on TikTok.
1: Right. So my last question: uh, How do you think TikTok subcultures are different, if at all? from the ones on other social media networks, such as Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram?
0: That's a great question. That's something that comes up a lot in peer review, especially anytime I get peer review, they're like, okay, but what about TikTok? What about, I'm sorry, what about Instagram? What about Twitter? What about all these other apps? And I'll bring this back to the algorithm, right? So the algorithm on TikTok is the power of TikTok, right? And so for instance, if I am a coffee lover, whatever that means, a coffee lover, um, and I wanna find coffee content on Twitter, I have to actively go find it. I have to figure out who are the accounts to follow, where is the conversation happening, and then I have to hope that the TikTok algorithm recommends coffee content to me. On TikTok, I never have to make an effort um, all of us, just based on what you like, what you interact with, the type of engagement you have with a video. And that means a number of things. It means how long you spend on a video. If you watch it more than once, if you like it, if you comment, if you save it, if you share it, if you download it, all of these different things influence the TikTok algorithm and tells it, this is something I really, really don't like. This is something that I'm, I'm okay with. And this is something I love. And when it sees that high engagement, it gives you more content by that creator and also content that is in that conversation, right? So that's how on TikTok, most people never search for what they're looking for, you know, what type of content they want to see. It just gives it to them. And then it creates these subcultures, subcommunities, right? So they can be very big communities like BookTok is a big community. Um, And also things like, like, Black TikTok, Latinx TikTok, um, so on and so forth. Those are larger communities. But it could also be something very small, like baking talk, where it's all content about baking, recipes, um, baking tips, so on and so forth. Or frog talk. Frog talk is about frogs. Um, There's Draco talk. Draco talk is about Draco Malfoy and, from Harry Potter. So it's um, Tom Felton, the actor who played Dr- Draco Malfoy in the Harry Potter movies. It's all content dedicated to this, this one actor, right? So these are micro communities, they're very small, um, but they're quite robust, right? And it's the same people, the same creators that come up and then the same people having the, co- they interact with each other, they stitch each other's videos and it creates this robust feeling of community. Um, but the thing that's different, though, I'll repeat it, is that the user, the person who gets on TikTok, who just wants to watch videos, never has to actively try to influence the algorithm. The algorithm is studying them from day one. Now, of course, if I want to learn more about sociology, for instance, I can go on TikTok and go to the search and put sociology in, and then it'll give me content And then based on how I interact with it, it might start feeding me more content about sociology and not just sociology, but specific types of sociology. Um, But usually you do not have to do that. You don't have to give that effort. TikTok knows, right? Whereas every other platform, for the most part, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you have to start to um, make that effort in a way that TikTok doesn't make you... I feel like my sentence just went all over the place, but I think you get what I'm trying to say. TikTok knows. The TikTok algorithm is the all powerful algorithm that knows what you want, and it puts you into these communities and it gives you these communities. And I think because of that, there's a lot of scholars across the globe that are really interested in understanding these TikTok subcultures and what they mean for our communities in both digital and analog spaces.
1: Hmm. Right. So uh, this was really illuminating for me as well, because I also wasn't aware of the difference in algorithm. Uh, Thank you so much, Trevor, for that very engaging conversation. And I'm sure that our listeners will learn a lot and take an interest in your book.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation.